Hi, I'm Douglas Robertson from Soundhouse, and I'm here to welcome you to episode 11 of the Edinburgh Tried Fest podcast, the second in this series after nine last year. And uh, along the way, you might notice an unscheduled appearance from our terrier, Colin. For now, I'm going to pass you over to Jane-Anne, who's going to tell you what's uh, meant to be in the show. Thanks, Douglas. Um, here's what's in today's show. We've got a chat with our headliner, Duncan Chisholm, about his writing process, the success of his COVID Cayley, and meeting fellow musician Ross Martin on the road during lockdown. We have another musical journey, this time from Kurdish musician Adnan Shamdin, and we hear from Cara Roberts, one of the participants of our Queer Tales workshops at Storytelling Centre. And you'll be pleased to know that I've got this week's tongue twister out of the way early, coming up in the intro to our chat with two fabulous string players. Classically trained cellist Alice Allen and traditional strings player Patsy Reed were aware of each other's work for a few years before they were brought together by musical polymath Shona Aitken as part of a very in-demand string section. This includes appearing as the High Plains with guitarist John Goldie at one of our Fringe gigs in 2019. Despite approaching traditional music from different starting points, the duo connected because of a shared geekiness about the North East fiddle tradition. Last year, they decided to reclaim the music of self-styled Strathspey King, James Scott Skinner, and record an album of his tunes, a hundred years after he recorded them himself. The resulting performances are outstanding, and we can't wait to share them with you in May. Until then, please welcome Alice and Patsy to the podcast. Hi. Hello. Hello Alice, are you okay with being called a geek? Oh yeah, that's that is me down to a T. Yeah, yeah. I try and I I live my life sort of um, faking that I'm an extrovert, but I'm actually a really geeky introvert. Yeah, and we noticed your train spotting <laughs> yeah. badges. <laughs> How does your geekiness manifest itself? Well, it kind of manifested itself in starting a PhD all about this. That's that's really like taking it to an extreme level. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love I love sort of anorak stuff his, about historical anything actually, but I suppose in music that's historical performance and that cult, there's quite a big culture of it in classical music. But um, yeah, but I love doing it in trad music as well. Well, not ask Patsy how she feels about being called a geek, but never mind. Um. <laughs> Her face says it all. <laughs> just accept it. Just to, just take it on board, wear it well. Um, Scott Skinner's work is um, quite often used in fiddle teaching, isn't it? Yeah. So does that put people yeah. off it? Does that, um, you know, take the shine off it a bit for a number of fiddlers? Um, I th- yeah, I think some some of the tunes are just absolutely beautiful and quite simple but i think a lot of the tunes that he, he's well known for are pretty virtuosic actually and yeah i think lots of people sort of go oh i don't like i don't like that style and um and that's a shame actually because you know there are so many tunes in between that which are manageable and and yeah i i think it's these tunes are used for teaching technique and also to sort of teach fiddle players or to try and convince players that it's worth getting your chops together because it's not just being able to play a Skinner tune but it's being versatile full stop really so as as musicians it's just good to be able to get up the neck a little bit and to warm up the the tunes with vibrato or things like that. What was your experience Patsy did you do you remember the first Scott Skinner's tune you were encouraged to learn shall we say oh that's an interesting point um I started competing when I was well I joined the Tayside Young Fiddlers who are still going woohoo um and they that was maybe when I was 10 or something and then I started competing maybe shortly after that a couple of years after and I don't actually remember a specific Skinner tune but it going down that route was definitely um Skinner-tastic and, and sort of William Marshall and Neil Gauss. So I was definitely introduced to all of those composers and encouraged to play in a certain way, actually. And I remember, I think it was the first year I did the Glen Fiddich Fiddle Championship. The There's always, well, there was, it doesn't happen anymore, but there was a set of tunes that you had to play by one of these composers and they sort of alternated it. And I definitely had to put together a set of tunes by Scott Skinner for that. Um, yeah, and 
it's it, it is a fantastic that that was a good opportunity to kind of get into the tunes and also to find tunes that everybody else wasn't playing and there is such a huge um well bible there's many different uh books that he put together with his compositions and alice you were classically trained so how, how did you end up in the folk world yeah well i had quite an interesting sort of experience um growing up um and and learning classical music but being in uh, Bankery which obviously has this amazing fiddle tradition but um, I suppose for me I, I had this really interesting sort of journey because all my pals were playing trad music and I loved trad music and I loved it growing up and I wanted to play and so I started going to um, Alistair Fraser and Natalie Haas's uh, fiddle camp on Sky when I was about 11 and so I went there every year in my teens and I had this, like, yeah, really um, fantastic immersion in Scottish music there. But on the flip side, coming back to Bankery, I would play with fiddlers, sort of knowing that it was acceptable because I did it on Sky. But there, there was this um, kind of different world here. And I really wanted to play in the Strathspain Real Society, but there was a no cello rule, <laughs> or at least when I asked if I could play, I wasn't allowed. So it was double bass, accordion, a um, couple of guitars and and fiddles, so it was like a it was a very strange experience actually, and it and it kind of piqued my interest in like, well, hang on a sec, like how how does this instrument fit in a tradition? Because there's two people over on Sky saying this is like the most historical sound of Scotland that has been the dance band of choice for two hundred years. Yet in the northeast at the moment, it's not seen; it's just seen as a classical instrument, and that's it. So I kind of just, um, I just vowed that I wanted to be like the very best I could at my instrument, sort of genre aside, just just to be as good as I could be at the cello. And then then I could play the music that I wanted. Um, but then I sort of uh, laterally came across like David McGuinness and his amazing project at Glasgow Uni called um, Bass Culture, which is looking at bass lines that were written in trad music 200 250 years ago and this like absolutely amazing uh collection of manuscripts that we have which at the time they were almost always published with a baseline for cello sorry this is the nerdy this is the nerdy bit <laughs> this is the anorak coming out <laughs> so this is uh yeah this makes me so excited but almost every collection that was published was published with a baseline for violoncello or um harpsichord violoncello obviously being this like fancy name for the cello but you know it wasn't double bass and it it wasn't well accordion wasn't really on the scene then domestic you know having pianos in the domestic home wasn't a thing until actually just around Skinner's when Skinner died so before that there was this big space for baseline and I totally love the uh you know uh, David McGuinness is brilliant talking about this but the way that the baseline was equally as important and nowadays tune books usually publish chords rather than a baseline um, but that historical thing of the baseline being there and being written in I think is it's so awesome and it's something that I just love doing and I've gone on a massive tangent I can't remember even where we that's started. That's okay that's absolutely fine yeah. it leads yeah. me into because I was wondering about <laughs> Scott Skinner himself did he just write the tunes or did he have a baseline or accompaniment written in to the, the music? Yeah he, almost all his collections, like Harp and Claymore, he has bass lines almost all the time. Not always written by him. He had Gavin Gregg, his editor, quite often put them in. Um, and quite often they'd be a quite pianistic bass line. You could usually tell if it was written for piano, the way it's written. But sometimes you come across these ones with just a really simple sort of, usually four quarters in the bar, usually quite repetitive um, in terms of just staying on the tonic and not really moving very far from that. Um, in a major key, he never goes to the minor, never goes to six really ever, which is so cool. That's something that we don't do so much nowadays, but um, I, I love that. And it was quite fun kind of experimenting with Patsy playing these and sort of saying, like, okay, he's written, he's written basically A for the baseline for four tunes. Like, can we get away with doing that? You know, is that going to be the most boring thing that's ever happened? <laughs> <laughs> or is it going to be okay? <laughs> so we kind of pushed ourselves to try it. And uh, Patsy encouraged me just, you know, try it. And 
actually amazingly I, I think it's a totally cool effect and um yeah when you when you rehearse something like that it is boring and tedious because you're playing so much of it but on its own in isolation I think it's a fantastic effect of sort of droning um and of course Skinner yeah grew up uh, in Bankery and he I didn't know this but he he started his musical life on on the cello but not only that was I don't think he actually changed to fiddle until his mid-teens so he he was a cellist first and foremost which is pretty cool I never knew that until you told me and it's, it's quite amazing yeah Pat, Patsy I want to ask how um closely you stuck to you know what was written you know did did you stick closely to the to the tunes on the page or did you give them your own how did you give them your own spin I suppose um well, it was interesting to um, to to hear on this album, the Strasbe King that he recorded, and then the sheet music. And between us, we had quite a few different books, and even the versions of the tunes within the books would be they'd they'd be a bit different. And sometimes he played them quite differently too. So I remember just thinking it was actually a different tune at one point. So I just wrote it out. And but but no, I think I I always will kind of. Um, vary things a little bit um, which I think is okay um, and you know just little melodic changes that you know because this is the whole thing once something's written down that tells the world that that's how it should go but you would never play a tune the same way three times in a row anyway so um, you know that that's quite an interesting concept anyway and you know that once it's it's that sort of debate of tradition and whether it should be written down and sort of gospel or whether it's okay to just vary it up I don't really know how much I did to be honest I <laughs> I didn't think about it but maybe I did Alice did I did I do my own thing I can remember we spent quite a lot of time listening to Skinner which was quite fun but I always felt like you you just sound like Patsy always. You sound like Patsy, and that's that was what was really cool. It was sort of inspired by him, but it wasn't a copy of him. So yeah, <laughs> well, cool. I remember sometimes being stuck, and because we didn't want to just go out and copy exactly that, you know, the tempo changes. Because sometimes, I mean, it's it was mad. I'd I'd never come across it before but you'd be full tilt in a reel and then he'd suddenly put the brakes on and go into a stress bay and you know we didn't want to entirely just copy that all these kind of wee details but sometimes it would just be like I don't know how to do that and we'd just go back on and, and these this recording is funny as well we used to just laugh because obviously the technology was limited in those days and it's quite comical and the keys would also I think Alice, you, you'd be better to say, but it's, I think sometimes because of whatever the transition to get it digital or something, the keys would be different. So yeah, we'd, we'd giggle, but actually a lot of the time we'd be like, oh yeah, he did a really nice thing there. So we would copy it, you know, when it was, you know, going to help us. So yeah, yeah, um, so great moments where, 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 <laughs> where I'm at in the questions. No, it's interesting what you're saying about the bass line. <laughs> You know, because uh, Skinner was very much about dance music a lot of his life, wasn't he? And wherever you go, the bass line is essential, you know, for a good dance groove. You know, it's what Dolphin totally. Boy does to his tracks. It's you've got a reggae club. It's, yeah. a, it's the bass that everybody's dancing to. African drums, totally. it's the big drum that everybody's moving to. And the rest are kind of more decorative. So I can see how, how essential that is, you know. Mm. Um, but uh, where are we at in the questions? Patsy. Um <laughs> You went to mm -hmm. Alistair Fraser's fiddle school as well, as did I Alice. Did, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, remember going to see his film. The groove is not trivial, you know. Where he, say, right. he says that what's really essential in the music is yeah. is the groove, you know. Mm -hmm. um, just wondering how big an influence Alistair and Natalie are on you. I mean, obviously you're a, a duet of fiddle and cello, so people that's probably the the, the first thing that people are going to think of, you know, is Alistair yeah. Fraser and Natalie has. So were they, well, did they influence yeah. your the way you play? Big time. I mean, I'm kind of ages with Natalie. So when I was sort of, I think it was 13, I started to go to the Sommerostig um, Alistair Fraser camp. And then there wasn't a cello element. Uh, but same thing, I was I went there until I was maybe 17 um, and have always 
loved Alistair's playing and uh, you know for a long time I was trying to copy Alistair I wanted to sound like him and and he's actually very versatile I remember um, being impressed with you know because his different albums I can't remember which one it is now on the top of my head but he definitely went down a Cape Breton route as well and you know he's just a beautiful versatile player and then I went to the Valley of the Moon, which is his kind of equivalent camp in the Redwoods in California. And I met Natalie then. So I was 17 and 18 when I got to go there. So I met Natalie and she wasn't a tutor at that point. She was on the camp as well. So we became great friends. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's obviously a, a natural um, comparison between the between our sound and theirs. And I think, you know, we haven't gone out to to become a duo and and to, to do this. It was really the Skinner element that kind of made the project happen. But I think we're quite excited about, you know, maybe choosing other topics and doing a similar thing, maybe with different composers or different themes. So it's not going to be the same sort of thing that Alistair and Natalie do. And, you know, there's room for lots of different interpretations of that maybe maybe an abba gig or something afterwards but... what yeah <laughs> that, you're, you, yeah you got it in one <laughs> he's very perceptive Douglas oh, these kind of things. Um, I, I, Alice, I just want to pick up on something you said before because I'm quite interested in the the no cello rule in the uh, oh, yeah. you know I think it seems really odd because I believe that even like Neil Gow always, well, not always, but played very much with his brother Donald on the cello. So how did they, how did totally. they come across this? How did they decide that this was a good rule to have? Any idea? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know other than the fact that there wasn't already cellos there. I mean, the, I find the interesting thing about Bankery is you think of Scott Skinner as being almost the, the most um, prominent, sort of well, one of the most prominent examples of a of a cellist turned fiddler or maybe the only example or you know but but in the golden age of fiddle music as you say it was so common for people to regularly play in a cello violin duo or or play the cello as well so I find it really interesting that geographically to have had that amazing legacy of Skinner and a hundred years later for it to be completely sort of alien totally baffling actually and um, I think Presumably here in the Northeast, we, the, the Strathspain Real Society, I guess, became, it just became the norm that it was double basses. And, uh, and, and I guess we lost touch with that cello <coughs> part of things. Um, <laughs> oh, don't give me that. Well, Colin. <laughs> I think Jane Adams maybe just gone off. It's probably the postman or something. Is there somebody at the door? Oh dear, best laid plans. <laughs> I I actually feel as well, though, like you've touched on it, it's like it's that Strasbian real thing. And it's a bit like I mentioned before, the competition scene. And I think they it's it's connected with the fact that the music's written down. And I think it's it, it's just a, a different tradition in itself. Do you know what I mean? And so there, and I've played in Strasbourg Real Societies um, through the Tayside Young Fiddlers too, and there just weren't any cellos across the board. Mm. And imagine if a cellist who who could play all of these tunes wanted to compete in the Glenfiddich, it would just be like, no, why? Why would they do that? <laughs> but why not? You know, it's 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 the yeah. music, but this just doesn't happen. And sort of touching on the the Alistair and Natalie thing, you know, Natalie's like. Uh, the biggest inspiration in my life in terms of playing and sort of my hero that that allowed me to sort of enter into trad music um going to her courses and, and seeing a place for the cello is the reason that I play trad music now and had I not had that exposure there's no way that I would have ended up being able to play any trad I would have just thought oh cello is a classical instrument and I don't have any connection to trad music in Scotland and that's something I feel really passionate about actually that it that it's so strange that it was you know Natalie who is from North America that told me about a tradition that's from Scotland you know and it's <laughs> trying to sort of, from, yeah. from my hometown yeah nice. totally like trying to kind of reconnect with something that that we've lost touch with and, and for Scottish cellists to sort of reclaim their ownership of the tradition that 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 we're part of but um 
but sort of aren't part of it's getting better and there's this revival happening but for sure it's a it's a strange one so um beyond the the gig you've been recording an album so I'm just wondering uh, how that's going and when we expect to see it shooting up the charts. <laughs> that's it. The Scott Skinner charts. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's mastered and ready to go and we're just finalising the artwork and it will definitely be out by this gig, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we're... If we're t- um, committing to an actual date, Alice. I can't remember the date that was mentioned, but you can always make the gig the launch date if you like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell us the title of the album. Strathspey Queens. Great, and that—that's because he was the Strath that Scott Skinner was the Strathspey King. Was that the name of his album, Strathspey King? Yeah, that album was called that, and he called himself the the Strathspey King. And your next yeah. album will be the Dancing Queens. <laughs> uh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, thanks. Uh, anyway, I believe you've you, you've um, singled out a track that we're going to hear a little bit about. Which one of you is going to tell us about the, the track we're going to hear? Alice? Yeah, I can do. Yeah, yeah. So it, this is the first track on the album. Um, so it's uh, three tunes, if I'm remembering rightly. I think um, Athol Highlanders' Fel- farewell to Loch Katrin, and then. Um, the Cameron Highlanders and then Culloden Day or the Inverness Gathering I think some people call it so they're the first three tracks um, or the first three tunes um, on the album yeah do you want to say anything Patsy is that well I was going to say that it's an example of sort of three tunes that I wouldn't have put together necessarily because there's there's sort of and really nice uh, tempo kind of changes or feel changes between them. So it's quite an interesting one. It's not just your March stress being real. And that's uh, like another thing that has kind of become how things are done. It's like oh, a March has to go into a stress bay into a reel, but Skinner didn't do that. He did three reels into a stress bay and back into a reel and then into some weird hornpipe called the parrot. Like it's really, you know, <laughs> there were no rules. That's a highlight. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. I can't remember what track it is, but there's a really, really cute wee tune called The Parrot. If you promise to play The Parrot, we'll make it a fancy dress theme. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely up for that. (laughs) So thanks so much for uh, joining us. And uh, we look forward to your gig, which is Thursday, the 5th of May. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Can't wait. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Great, that was the opening track to Alice Allen and Patsy Reed's new album, Strathspey Queens. It includes three tunes, The Athol Highlanders' Farewell to Loch Catron, The Cameron Highlanders and Culloden Day. Alice and Patsy will be appearing at the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh on Thursday, 5th May, and will have freshly baked copies of this tasty new album to sell in the night. Hi, I'm Ailey Shaw from Sugar Nifty, and I'm here to recommend that you go and see Sheehan. They are not only just uh, beautiful people singing and playing beautiful music, but they keep getting COVID and having all their gigs cancelled. So this is like a fingers crossed moment for them. Thanks to Ailey Shaw for that recommendation. Ailey will be one of next week's guests and is appearing with Sugar Nifty at the festival on Friday the 6th of May. Ailey's recommendation, Sheehan, are appearing at the Traverse on Monday the 2nd of May. We are now going to hear from one of the participants in our special commission, Kamoyi. Here's Adnan Shamdin. My name is Adnan. I'm from Syria. I'm Kurdish. I'm Kurdish from Syria, and I've been in Glasgow since October 2015. Actually, I come with my family here. It was really easy journey for me uh, because uh, I have chosen by Unicar to come in Glasgow under a program called Resettlement of the Vulnerable People. I left Syria in 2013 because of civil war. And the reason for that, why why I left the Syria, I left the Syria because I I, I wasn't a part of this war. I, I didn't care about this war. I only care about my family, about about uh, my children, about them future. So I left to Kurdistan, Iraq, and I lived there in refugee camp for uh, two years. The living in Scotland, it's uh, for myself. It, it was. Uh, like a new life everything was exchange like you exchange your, your direct like 118 degree so new language new people new background new thinking everything is new for for you it was a big challenge to learn an uh, english because when i came here i couldn't speak uh, any english uh, and as well when i was uh, when i was studying english in uh, the college or uh, any English class, it was different because we was studied a formal English. So the accent was very, very hard for us. Until now, until now, I have a problem to understand the accent. And uh, the music really helped me in Scotland. How? There are a short story when I was in Kurdistan in refugee camp before I came to Scotland for about a week or two, I can remember. Uh, the Australian musician was psychologist come to the refugee and people recommended me to play with her. She wanted to play, to play a concert and the people recommended me to I play with her. Uh, her name was uh, Rose Wells and when uh, we did our concert, we do it actually without any rehearsal. It was like a conversation music be- be- between our music and her music. So. She asked me to do some rehearsal and do another concert, but I said I will leave the camp for a week or two because I'm going to uh, Scotland. And this uh, lady shared in his uh, Facebook page like a message for his friend, a musician in Glasgow, to help me. And uh, especially that's work because uh, after a month or two, uh, Samuel, who is a musician from Glasgow, but uh, he lived in he lives in uh, Berlin in Germany. He contacted me by messenger, and actually by that time I couldn't understand when he called me. Just I used the Google translation to help me understand, and he told me they will come Glasgow as a band, and they had three events, and he invited me to join him, and it was the first time I play music in Glasgow. You know, it was like a circle or uh, like a network when you know somebody that helped you to know other one. So with those musicians, uh, I improved my language, I improved my skills, I have new friends. And uh, so 
those help me to play a different way i play with uh, some project in glasgow uh, and uh, i play for many spaces and open mic uh, and there are um, a program called uh, musician in exile that one uh, when this program start start with my picture absolutely absolutely without my permission i don't know anything about it the people used my picture and they didn't call me and when i asked him why you did uh, use my picture they then they invite me to the program so it was the worst experience i ever have done in scotland yeah for many reasons anyway hopefully in the future and can i can play a music with a different people from different where especially scotch people i want to play scotch music but until now i can i cannot do that because i, I can't read any music i only play my ear uh, now i've got a small band me and other two friends uh, iman who play center from iran and uh, miro who play uh, drums from slovenia we uh, make like our uh, groups uh, our group under name in uh, Nauros uh, actually we published it uh, the first first event was in Tichai Ovna as well uh, so we try to make this group bigger and bigger and finally the music Actually, all my life, all my life is connected by the music. The people every time contact me because of my music, and uh, that make me happy. But uh, there are something sometimes make me angry when the somebody call me and ask me to do any project. And this project not about my music, not about my achievement, not about my life. No, no, they are only about my experience like a refugee i think why these people didn't let me after six years why they didn't ask me to to tell them about my music about my culture about my achievement about all them why they they try to let me remember everything bad i have done in last 10 years and every time somebody asks me this question i become angry maybe for a week or two or something like that Anyway, it was good uh, opportunity uh, today to just I talk something I feel it and hope that sort. <laughs> have a good night or have a good day. That was Taksim from Neuro's Ensemble, an eclectic and rather wonderful trio put together by Adnan Shamdin in Glasgow. You can check them out via Facebook. Adnan will be playing at Edinburgh Tradfest on Monday 2nd May as part of Kamoli. Hi, I'm Luna Monaghan. I'm appearing at Edinburgh Tradfest and I'm so excited to go see Kareem Polwart and David Milligan and also The She. 
Thanks to Una Monaghan for those recommendations. Una will be delivering our second annual Rebellious Truth Lecture on Tuesday the 3rd of May and she'll be our guest on next week's podcast. Corinne and Dave's show is already sold out, but you can see the She who are giving our closing concert on Monday the 9th of May. Now we're going to catch up with Duncan Chisholm, composer, fiddle player and Highland treasure. Duncan Chisholm is one of the greatest fiddlers of his generation and is swiftly approaching national treasure status. His Covid Cayley and a Tune With A View initiatives during lockdown kept spirits up and gained him legions of new fans all around the world. His unique musical voice is distilled in his home landscape of the Scottish Highlands. His masterful attention to detail, worn so lightly it appears effortless, is combined with a tenderness and passion that keeps audiences flocking to see him wherever he plays. We are so delighted that he will be opening Edinburgh Tradfest this year and very happy to welcome him to the podcast. Hi Duncan. Hello, how are <laughs> you? I'm all right, Hello. how are you? Those very kind words. Uh, thank you, Gina. <laughs> beautiful in Inverness this morning, I'm sure. It's beautiful, yes. Uh, the frost is here and blue skies, it's wonderful. Yeah, Fabulous. yeah, great place to be. Absolutely. Um, I'm just wondering about your... Um, association with the landscape because I think that more than almost any Scottish musician that's what your music is uh, associated with your yeah. Strathglass trilogy is I believe all about the lands of your ancestors yes where yeah. where can where is it where explain to people where it is on the map because it's quite it's kind of remote isn't it yeah well um if, if you go uh, southwest from Inverness um, it's it's out there in the in the middle of um, the Highlands. It's yeah. um, beautiful. Uh, you have Strathglass that goes up, um, well, well, kind of southwest, and then leading off those um, that glen uh, are three valleys, uh, three glens heading west: Glen Strathfarer, Glen Canach, and Glen Affric. Oh, and um, they are. They have been home to the Chisholm clan for for six hundred years, and oh. um, my paternal line goes back that that far. And um, I guess that the, the making of the Strathglass trilogy was a defining moment for me. Um, it was uh, it was important for me to make two clear musical statements: "This is me," and "This is where I'm from." And so the the idea was fairly simple was to, to try and create soundtracks uh, to these three beautiful glens that were home to the, uh, my paternal line. And um, going with the landscape and uh, equally with an equal measure were the stories from my family throughout those those years, the, the history and the stories that I'd heard from a, a very small child, you know, places that were dear to me. Um, where I learned to fish, you know, where I would go on family picnics, all these things. They all made up the big collage that, that were those three albums. Um, of course, landscape, light and weather have always been uh, a huge influence on my music. Um, the fundamental elements that surround us here, um, they, they stoke our minds and, uh, you know, sparks of inspiration are, are, are created and, uh, I, I try and paint pictures with music. So um, like a painter would do on canvas, uh, I have to start with nothing and and then you create melody, harmony and and colour and and try to give a your own perspective on how you feel about a place and, and hopefully that, that kind of um, goes on to an audience member or, or someone who's listening to an album. Uh, that they might feel that that's representative of how they feel in a place also. So, uh, yeah, the natural world is, is so important to my art, without doubt. That's brilliant. Ch Douglas just had to cross out a question there because you've just answered it <laughs> beautifully <laughs> without even being asked. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Get ahead oh, of things. Uh, you can just oh, go and have a cup of that. tea and you carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, on yeah. your most recent uh, release, Sandwood, is, yeah. uh, sort of stands out. Um, Sandwood Bay 
on the maps. I mean, how how do you get there? There don't seem to be many roads. I mean, it's near Cape Wrath, is it? I mean, you kind of expect an eighteen twelve overture with um, explosions because of the RAF uh, testing range. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> um, it is, it's the most incredible place. And if you, for any of the listeners that have never been, it must be on a bucket list. Um, you you drive to Kinloch Burvey and then. Uh, carry on past Kinloch Burby, northwest Sutherland, uh, to a place called Blair Moor, where you can park the car, and then you walk out across the moor from there. Uh, it's about four and a half miles to the uh, to the the bay itself, but um, so worth it. I mean, the walk itself is is beautiful, and um, but when you get there, you're met with this incredible bay that that um, stretches out over a mile and a half. On one end, you've got um, Louisian nice uh, in the cliffs, colourful cliffs, colourful rocks everywhere, sand dunes that are mountainous. So you kind of feel enclosed. Uh, and to the north are the cliffs of, of Cape Wrath. It's a, it's a truly incredible place. It's, it's, the, um, it's the first place where the Picts uh, had their first settlement in what would become Scotland. And... Um, oh. It's got an incredible history. It's a place of ghost sailors and uh, whales, and uh, it's just wonderful. And and you never forget the place when when you when you go there. You'll never forget it for the rest of your life. And uh, I was I was very fortunate. I um, I visited eight times over an eighteen month period, um, trying to immerse myself in the place and try and and create music that would represent how I felt there. So I guess the, the music is as much about the rain on my face as it was the cliffs of Cape Wrath. You know, it was as, as much about the colours that I saw in the sky as it was the sand uh, under my feet. Um, it, it's about the experience you had there. And I guess everyone's experience is going to be different. And um, uh, you just have to be as honest about that. Uh, as you can be, and, and uh, hopefully people get it. <laughs> so you trek out there with a the fiddle? Yes. Well, yes. I, I, a lot of the time I, I, I did take the fiddle a few times, but um, other times I just went out with my camera and uh, my phone and uh, took pictures and just sat in the dunes and just tried to... I, a lot of my writing is, is retrospective, so I work from memory, but it was good to take pictures and remind myself of, of uh, the days that I spent there. But then when you get back into a writing environment, um, I think you're better working from memory. It's, it's the, the old analogy of rose-tinted glasses, maybe, uh, that, you, that you work from. And I think the creative mind uh, works well from that, from working from memory. I think there's a link-up there that... Um, uh, you, you try and remember maybe not what it looked like, but how you felt um, when you were sitting there. You block out the piles of plastic, then. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yes, and and help that that was uh, help uh, pick them up. The John Muir Trust are they, they do an incredible job there, um, uh, working the paths and and cleaning the beach, and and I, I guess everyone that that goes there uh, feels a responsibility. You're going to such a precious. A beautiful place that you f- immediately feel the responsibility to start cleaning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you feel a bit raging if you get there and there's someone else there? Well, no, actually, <laughs> um, it, it's 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 unbelievable because the beach is so large uh, that yeah. um, you can you go there and um, you can be in your own space all day, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's wonderful actually because anyone that you you do meet or uh, did meet up there, you immediately want to go over and speak to them uh, and find out where they are because they've made the same the trip as you and and they're experiencing the same thing as, as you. So it, it actually draws you closer to people that are on the beach. You know, is there any kind of evidence of um, settlements around there? Was what did people live there at one point? Or yes, yes. So yeah. the 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 ancient uh, the Picts uh, settled there. Um, there's a, a definite um, a evidence that the Vikings would uh, they would certainly shelter there. 
um, the, um, Seton Gordon in his, his book Highland Ways and Byways. Um, I'm not sure how he knew this, but he, he reckoned there was a, a Viking longship under the sand there at Sandwood. And um, I, I don't know how he came about that, whether that was a, a story that had passed down, but uh, they, they certainly sheltered there. There's a, a beautiful loch at the back of the beach, uh, Sandwood Loch, and I think they used to drag their longships yeah. across the beach there after a, probably a very perilous journey around Cape Wrath, mm. uh, and they would uh, they would shelter there. And, uh, yeah, so uh, incredible history. There was There was a... A uh, Spitfire came down on the beach in 1940 as well um, during World War Two, and um, thankfully the pilot survived. But he had to crash land on the the beach, and apparently there's the wreckage of the Spitfire is still there. Although I, I every time I went up looking for it, I, I could never see it. But um, uh, yeah, amazing history. So I want to talk a, a little bit as well about um, one of the things that you became famous for in lockdown was the the daily COVID Kaylee, which were kind of online concerts. Um, yeah. You couldn't have imagined that they would have been so popular or that lockdown would go on for so long. <laughs> no, no, that was, it was, it was, uh, it was quite something. I, I think, um, well, I started COVID Kaylee um, right at the, the start of the very first lockdown in March, 2020. And it was, it was basically a call to other musicians to post an acoustic track on social media and uh, that was in order to bring people together through music um, to to comfort and, and reassure people, um, you know, that might have been feeling isolated or vulnerable. And um, the, the response was amazing. You know, we had thousands of tracks posted from musicians from all over the world and subsequently millions of views and um, really great to get the messages of thanks from all across the world uh, about it. It was a real, um, it was a real community uh, of musicians that, that went to a lot of effort to, to post tracks. And uh, uh, I think it was, um, it was just uh, wonderful to see how music can, uh, a wee reminder, a nice tune that someone likes or whatever. It was a re wee reminder that, Things aren't so bad, you know, and uh, you you can easily connect. Thank thank goodness for the internet uh, uh, in, in in that yeah. situation, you know. Uh, well, apart from the homeschooling, of course, that was uh, that was. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll forever hate the internet for that. <laughs> Did you have homework to do as well? Oh, there was, uh, there was, I, I, um, the first day that we, we knew we were going to do homeschooling, I, I got very uh, excited about it. I thought, right, I'm going to really embrace this. And at the end, I had sharpening pencils and sorting out all their stuff for them. And at the end of it, my youngest said, Dad, that was the worst lesson I've ever had. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I knew it, was, it wasn't going to go well. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> with yeah. months ahead anyway. You must have an enormous repertoire, to, but did you ever feel that you might run out of tunes because it went on for so long? Uh, yeah, well, I, I posted 126 uh, days consecutively on the first run and then went back after it. It was it was really... Uh, I wasn't going to run out of tunes, but uh, uh, maybe run out of good tunes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there's there's thousands in there, but um, you want to keep the quality up, you know? Um, yeah. But uh, what was wonderful that came out of COVID, Kaylee, was... Um, we uh, when when I was posting in the in the good we if you'll remember we had this amazing spell of weather at the start of yeah. uh, you know like from the April on until mm. about the, the end of June mm. it was sunny every day so I was posting from out in the garden and um, the messages that I was getting back uh, they were uh, as much about the view from my house uh, as it was uh, as they were about the about the music and uh, so it sparked an idea. Um, that I should maybe uh, at some point go out and go into the Highlands and record music out in the wilds, which I did with Tune With A View um, the following year 
in uh, 2021. And that was a wonderful thing for me um, because we were able to travel within our own local authority. I was, I, and I was fortunate enough to live in the Highlands. Um, <laughs> it opened out a huge area. And so I went to um, Sutherland, Lochaber, um, around this area, uh, Wester Ross, and um, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was, it was a real labour of love, that one, because just myself and the dog would head off and we'd record uh, music in beautiful places. So so it was great. What, what does the dog play? <laughs> well, he's actually called Banjo, the dog. So, <laughs> so uh, we'll need to get him lessons, I think. Uh, <laughs> but it was, uh, he enjoyed it because, uh, of course, I, I, there were long walks way out into the wilds and different yeah. places. So he loved it. He loved it. As much as I did. You may know we did a series of podcasts before, um, last, last yeah. Tradfest. And uh, you may also know that Ross Martin gave you a name check on one of those. I did he, uh, hear this. When he bumped into you at a passing place in Murray. <laughs> Mora, even. Oh, oh, yes, oh, yes. Yeah, That's I can right. actually, Mora, I think I Mora. might be able to play it to you. Let's see if this works. All right. Drive home was quite eventful, actually. I uh, met Duncan Chisholm. Actually, I didn't expect to do that. He was driving about. I met him in a single track, but he was struggling at the reversing, you know. He said something about the sun being in his eyes, so I managed to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so you should really get the right of reply, shouldn't you? Well, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I might have been struggling with the reversing, but uh, <laughs> he was actually struggling with driving in general. <laughs> Going forward is, is uh, Ross's yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, it was lovely to meet him. I, I, um, that was the day I was recording at uh, Kamastarik Beach. And uh, I, I, um, I forgot, actually, Ross had moved up there. And uh, I just I went up to see Love Motor just to have a wee squint and uh, see what like. And uh, hadn't been up there in years. And there was Ross on the way back, just off a fishing boat. So uh, it's smelly, probably. Oh, probably. Yes. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't hang about. <laughs> He's a great storyteller, and the best storytellers are usually a bit liberal with the truth, you know. So. Uh, yeah, I totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was great to see him. I have to say, it was really great. And uh, what's next for you? Uh, I think you, are you going back into the studio? Um, yes. Anything you can tell us about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm. I'm going to the studio actually in just a few days' time. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. Um, this has been two years of imagining, of writing and arranging. And um, I've been working with Hamish Napier, who I worked with uh, on Sandwood, and with Ross Ainsley uh, as well. So the three of us have been writing music together, which has been a really wonderful experience. Um, it's it's always you're always tentative at the start of a you know um, a working relationship, but I knew working with Ross and Hamish that um, everything would be open and uh, free and lots of discussions, and we we have similar outlooks on music, so it worked really well. So um, yeah, the the album's ready to record and. Um, it's uh, it's going to be the for me it's the most exciting project I've, I've ever been involved with uh, musically so yeah I'm, I'm really it should be excited. pretty good crack as well we, uh, we just saw Ross on Monday uh, um, the Ross and Timidi uh, ah. stepped in at the last minute when one of NOS uh, tested positive for ah, COVID right. so they played okay. our Monday concert and it was it was as much a comedy show as it was uh, oh, fantastic yeah, music here. you know oh, they, were, they really imagine. played a stormer Aye, wonderful musicians. Gee whiz, yeah. I, um, yeah. really, really terrific. So, yeah, um, recording the album, looking forward to Tradfest. I, I can't wait to play in that beautiful room. It's it's uh, going to be great. And and the lineup has been, uh, it's really, congratulations. It's Thank uh, you. truly exciting, uh, you know, to have this festival in, in the centre of Edinburgh. Really yeah. wonderful. Thanks. Well, we're really looking forward to it. And I think that we're going to hear something by way of a wee preview, perhaps. What 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 are we going to hear? What are we going to okay, to well, um, probably a track from Sandwood, uh, a track called Dizzy Blue, which mm -hmm. um, was inspired by that walk-in um, on a beautiful June morning uh, into Sandwood Bay. Um, the words, the title comes from Norman McCaig's beautiful poem, Summer Farm. And if I can remember... Um, 
it says, out of an empty sky, a swallow falls and flickering through the barn, dives up again into the dizzy blue. And it's a, it's a wonderful uh, uh, picture for me out from that poem of, of freedom and uh, being at one with nature. And that was what Dizzy Blue was all about. It was walking through the moor uh, uh, one beautiful, bright June morning and uh, being within nature and feeling totally at home. So Dizzy Blue. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. See oh, you no, soon. Not at all. Pleasure. Right, catch you later. See you at Tradfest. <laughs> yes, thank you, Douglas. That was Dizzy Blue from Duncan's highly acclaimed album Sandwood. You can buy your copy from duncanchisholm.com. Duncan will be appearing at the Assembly Music Hall as part of Edinburgh Tradfest on Friday 29th April. Hi, I'm Phil Alexander. I'm appearing at Tradfest with a piece called Come All Ye. And I'm also very much looking forward to hearing music from Malin. I taught Malin 
at the RCS a couple of years ago and they were an amazing student and a fantastically creative musician and I'm really excited to see what they're coming up with these days. So go check out Malin's music. Thanks to Phil Alexander for that recommendation. As you may remember, Phil is presenting Come All Ye at the Traverse Theatre on Monday the 2nd of May, including a performance from Adnan Shamdin. And don't miss Malin Makes Music, Phil's top choice, on Sunday the 1st of May. We're going to finish with a striking tale from Cara Roberts, one of the participants in our Queer Stories workshops at the Scottish Storytelling Centre. to be a blacksmith and hammer all the day. You say that's not a girl's job. Well, I don't care what you say. My name's Mary and I want to be a blacksmith. I have always wanted to be a blacksmith. My father's a blacksmith and ever since I was a wee lassie, I've watched him in the forge, working his magic, taking iron bars and heating them up in the fire making them glow red, orange, yellow, white, white hot until they are steaming and soft and you can hit them with the hammer and make them into anything. It's like a form of magic. You can take this plain ordinary iron bar and with it you can make a dagger or you can make a horse's shoe or you can make gate hinges or anything anything you like. It becomes itself. It becomes something else. It becomes real. I want to be a blacksmith and hammer all the day. You say that's not a girl's job. Well, I don't care what you say. You see, I've got three older brothers and they've all left to make their fortunes. John went off to be a sailor Sailing the seven seas, making his fortune. I had to stay home and learn how to sew clothes. James, well he went off to the mainland. He works for the king now. I had to stay home and learn how to do embroidery. Pretty little patterns on handkerchiefs. Angus. Angus is a farmer. He has a farm on the other side of the island now. And a bonny wife. Oh my goodness, such a bonny lassie. I had to learn to make bread and keep house and all I want is to be a blacksmith and have a wife. I want to be a blacksmith and hammer all the day. You say that's not a girl's job. Well, I don't care what you say. And then my father goes and gets an apprentice an apprentice to do the job that I want to do. Oh, but father, father, have you not looked carefully at your apprentice? For she is just like me. This is no laddie that you have found to work in your forge. This is a girl, same as myself, who wants to be a blacksmith. And she has the most beautiful eyes and the most beautiful hands and I am in love with her. I come and watch you at the forge, her nimble hands working the metal the way that I want to do it. I want to do the things that she does and I want to do her too. We're going to be married. Mother when he like it. I'm sure she won't, but we are going to be married and we are going to be happy and we are going to have the life that we want together. There's something strange about that man. I'd see him dead before he takes your hand. Stay away from his forge and flame. He will never take your name. Because you see, I want to be a blacksmith and hammer all the day. You say that's not a girl's job. Well, I don't care what you say.
Thanks so much to Cara for that wonderful story, Mary is a Blacksmith, and to Joanna Kilpatrick for accompanying it so beautifully. You can hear more stories and music from these workshops at Queer Tales at the Scottish Storytelling Centre on Thursday, 5th May. Thanks, Douglas. That's all we have time for for this episode. Thanks to all our guests, Alice Allen and Patsy Reid, Adnam Shamdin, Duncan Chisholm, Cara Roberts and Joanna Kilpatrick. And thanks to Ailey Shaw, Una Monaghan and Phil Alexander for their recommendations. I was wondering, actually, Douglas, what your recommendation is for Tradfest this year. Whoa, um, tricky one. Probably Nola Kennedy and Eamon O'Leary since I saw the alt this year at Glasgow's Celtic Connections uh, and these guys are two-thirds of the band um, so yeah I think they'll do a great show love Nuala's voice love her flute playing and Eamon's just an absolutely exquisite musician and they're on at the Traverse on Friday the 6th of May so Edinburgh Tradfest takes place this year from Friday 29th April until Monday 9th May we hope you can join us for some great live music in Edinburgh during that time If not, there's always the podcast. Our next episode goes live on Friday the 29th of April when we'll be joined by guests including Una Monaghan, Ailey Shaw and James McIntosh from Sugar Nifty and Lauraline Morgan-Davis from Madarin. That was episode 11 of the Edinburgh Tradfest podcast. At the time of release, all episodes of this podcast are available to listen to. But episodes 1 to 9, recorded in 2021, will start to disappear one a day from Sunday 1st May. You have been warned. Edinburgh Tradfest podcast is produced and presented by Douglas Robertson and Jane Ann Purdy, with the help of our hugely capable engineer, Dave Kay. The theme tune, Silence of the Trams, is by Angus R. Grant, performed and arranged by Sugal Nifty. Information on all our guests and the music played is listed on our website, edinburghtradfest.com. Huge thanks to our funders, Creative Scotland and the William Grant Foundation, makers of Glenfiddich and other wonderful things. Please rate, review and subscribe to Edinburgh Tradfest podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Apparently that helps other people find it. Thanks very much.